you, we love you, and it is such a privilege and honor for us to be able to just get together and just here on a Sunday morning for just a couple hours to worship your name and honor you, and what a glorious privilege that is. God, I thank you, and I ask that, God, as we continue to worship you in, in song and, and, and the word, that God will do so for your glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. And thank you for putting it up there, but it's just, just got to turn it around. We could do that. There we go. It's all right. Your, your dad had was technical difficulties the first hour, and it just followed like sun, so it's okay. Well, good morning. Take your Bibles, if you will. Turn to, to uh, Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Good morning those of you that are watching online. We're so thankful that you are there and uh, continue to watch us, and, and Lord willing, someday you can be here with us. And so we're looking forward to that. When we're talking about uh, Easter, and that we're, we are going to have three services here, but we're going to be, Lord willing, in the next couple of weeks, sending out a mailing to uh, everywhere from Hoogsick all the way up to Pittsfield and there, and inviting people to come. Uh, but we're asking them to, to watch online, because if everybody came... Uh, we wouldn't have room uh, during this time, so we want them to watch online, but you guys can come. So, it might, so, so it's not confusing to you. You that are coming, come. Bring your friends if you like. We're going to have some overflow rooms, but to, to the masses, we're asking them to watch us online and, and in that way. And some of you might want to uh, have a home party for some of your family or close friends and say, listen, come to my house, and we're going to watch it online, and then afterwards we can have ham or whatever you eat on Easter. So that would be, be great for you to do that. We're in a series uh, on forgiveness. God has forgiven us, and that's critical emphasis Sunday, and so that we're looking forward to that. And then the week after, we'll finish up the series here on forgiveness. This morning, we want to talk about forgiven people forgive. Forgiven people forgive. Here's the challenge. The challenge is that all of us struggle. All of us have had times we struggled forgiving somebody. In fact, if you said, well, I've never had a problem forgiving somebody, then it, either you're, uh, you're either delusional uh, or there's a bad problem there somewhere. We all, we're all struggle with that. And let me just give you some quotes that I've heard over the years from people struggling to forgive. But you just don't know what he did to me. Or they lied about me over and over again. She intended to destroy my career, and she did. You can't imagine the hell I've been through. If you knew what this has done to my family, you would be angry too. They deserve to suffer just like they made me suffer. I'm going to make them pay. My daughter was raped. How do I forgive that? I was sexually abused by a family member. How do you forgive that? I'll, I will never forgive those people, never. And yet Scripture says that we need to forgive. And you say, Pastor, are you talking about we got to forgive those people? Do we have to forgive that person? Are you saying that that person that I'm struggling with right now, I've got to forgive? But, but Pat, you don't understand. And, and again, maybe I don't. But God does. You see, we can't avoid being hurt, wronged, or sinned by, against by others. Therefore, we can't avoid the need to forgive. Forgiven people forgive. Here in our passage, Luke chapter 15 starts with the 
Pharisees, and I love this, were irritated with Jesus. What was the reason? <laughs> because if you look at the first 10 verses, tax collectors. April 15th is coming. And, and, and in that day, they were the lowest scum on the earth. Why was that? Because Jewish people, you remember, they had their own nation. They believed they, they were the nation of God, and they believed that God was really in charge of them. And so when the Romans came and took them over, and then they forced their way upon them, what they did was they hired, uh, the Romans hired Jewish men to be tax collectors, to collect the tax and give it to the, the Roman government. And so the Jewish people hated these men because they were violating everything they stood for. And because they were giving their money that should go to God, they would say, to, to their pagan Romans. And so they hated these men. And what did Jesus do? He walked right into their houses. He went right into the house of, of, of tax collectors. He went right in the houses of, of, of sinners, they called them. And you know what he did? He sat and ate with them. Now imagine that. Imagine that, that Jesus, and that day was probably a courtyard, that he would sit, go to the courtyard, and he was with all these pagan tax collectors. I want to ask you a question. Do you think that their language was good? Do you think that they did not tell probably dirty jokes? Do you think that not, or, or probably say some very degrading things about women and all the stuff that goes on? Do you not think that it was, you know, and that some of them were drinking probably to getting drunk? And there's Jesus right in the middle of drunken, filthy, language-speaking men. And what was he doing? Sharing light. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that great? And so, and, but that, oh, did that irritate the Pharisees? Because they would never do that. We would never go there. We would never talk to those people. And, and, and so they, this irritated them to no end. You know what they did is they lost perspective, didn't they? We are privileged here in our, in our church to have many that are first responders and, and for many of them that are here. And, and the, some of the things that some of you have seen are, are unimaginable things that, that our heart just breaks out for, for what's going on. And, and I just... Uh, and would you do something with me too? Just pray, even in this town, just a couple weeks ago, I, I didn't say anything because of the nature of it, but just two, three weeks ago, uh, just up from the, the goose, I don't see the goose here this morning, but they, uh, so just right up the road here, there was a, a young family, very young couple, in their 20s, I believe, and they had a beautiful little baby boy, eight-month-old baby boy, and they had a dog. And uh, make a long story short, the, the, it was a pit bull, dog and and the dog turned on the baby boy and the mother tried to stop it, it and it and uh could not in fact it attacked her and she got wounded as well but the baby boy was mauled to death a horrible horrible thing and that that happened and can you imagine first responders having to go in there and see that and deal with that and some of our very own, Tim, Tim Ahern, was, had to uh, carry the, the parents, the mom and dad, to the hospital. They, uh, and, you know, and so it was just a, a difficult situation, and I think of that. By the way, I reached out to the police department. I reached out to the uh, fire department. I told them that I, we don't know this couple. We said that they could use our church for a memorial service, that we would give financially resources, anything they need that we don't care that they don't come to church here. We want to help them. 
So would you just pray for this couple? Could I, can you imagine? It was the, the husband's dog. And if you're not saved and have something like that happen, there is no hope. Am I right? There is, without God, there is no hope. And, and you know what we have, folks? We have hope. We have hope. And, and I think of that, and, and, and I think of firefighters, they have a saying that I, I didn't hear until after 9-11. I'm sure it was been around for years. It says this, when others run out, we run in. I thought about that after the debris all over them was they saved lives. But it doesn't matter. Why? Because a life is more important than a smell. And today as Christians, we are fighting against the gates of hell, but are trying to do so without getting messy. And it doesn't work that way. You see, grace isn't afraid of messy because people are messy. And I don't want to be a pseudo-clean church, do you? Let's get messy for the grace of God. Let's not be afraid. Jesus was willing to go where people smelled. He was willing to go where people were messy. He was willing to go where people were all messed up. And then, and then the, and the Pharisees criticized him, and I love his answer. He said, hey, those that are well don't need a doctor. If you think you're all fine, but I'm going, I'm here to eat messy people, and I want our church to be messy, don't you? Not afraid of people coming in here, and maybe you're a visitor here today, and you say, well, if you knew what I was, or you knew what I did, or you don't know what I believe, and I go, that's fine, come on in, we're not afraid. You see, just know this, what we stand on is this book, if it says it, we say it, if it doesn't say it, we don't say it, that's as simple as it is. What we wanted to, to do here this morning, you see, forgiving people forgive, forgiveness can get messy. But let's go back to our story. Look back in Luke chapter 15. See, this story is normally called the story of the prodigal son. But some have said, even secular people said, it's one of the greatest short stories ever written. And it's part of three parables that are told to illustrate a truth. The primary truth of this parable is it teaches that God is passionately interested in reaching the lost while being rejected by the religious. But the applied truth of this parable is it teaches about forgiveness. You see, one brother is going to teach us how to forgive, the other how not to forgive, and the Father teaches us how the Heavenly Father forgives us. So let's look at it. How to forgive. Let's look at the younger son. Look at verses 11 through 16. He behaved sinfully. It says in a parable is a story that Jesus is telling. He had two sons. A younger of them came to his father and said, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all that he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck the country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of the country who sent him in the fields to feed the pigs. And he longed to eat to fill the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. So he's, Jesus tells the story of a man who had two sons, and the younger one says, hey, I, 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 I want to enjoy my inheritance while I'm still young. Give me, give me inheritance. And the father did. And the man went out and squandered it, spent it all. In fact, later on, we're going to find out prostitutes, everything. This man went out and just, you get the idea, wasted all of his money. And when a crisis came and a drought came to that, 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 that country, nobody was there for him. See, everybody's your friend when you got something to give, but then here nobody came back, and there he was in destitute to the point where he was feeding pigs. Now understand, 
that was the most, that, that had to be the most critical thing, the most degrading thing you could tell a Jewish person is that a Jewish man was feeding pigs. And that's what he was doing to the point that he was so hungry that even with the pig slop that they were feeding pigs, and I don't know much about feeding pigs, but I know that you don't want to eat the pig slop. And he was even looking at that with lust and passion, saying, oh, if I could only eat that. This is where he was about the sin snowball, and this is what this guy did. He started with a little sin, and it kept going and kept going to this man. He never dreamed, never dreamed of finding himself feeding pigs, having passion and desire to feed off of what they're eating off, and that's where he was at. And then I love the first part of verse 17. Look at this. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. First part of verse 17. But when he came to his senses. Don't you love that? Here he was, completely hopeless, completely without anything, completely feeding pigs. And then it says, but when he came to his senses. Did you know that that sin, when you sin, it really shows a spiritual insanity? Sin is really spiritual insanity. Think about that for a second. If I logically said to you, you know, is lying good? Should you lie or should you steal or should you commit adultery or should you embezzle money or should you, you know, and just kind of lay out all the sins out here? Logically speaking, you go, no, that, that this makes no sense. If God says there's sin, we should not do them. We shouldn't sin. So why do you? Why do I? Because of spiritual insanity. Because in the moment, what we do is we don't think of God, we don't think of truth, we don't think of what's right, we don't think of what's wrong, we think of me, we think of how can I rationalize this out, and we completely become spiritually insane, and we sin. And that's why I love this, that finally this young man came to his senses. He said, but when I came to my senses, <laughs> look what he said, look what he'd happened. He became broken and sincere. Verse 17 beyond, he says, and he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food and I'm here dying of hunger. I'll get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Did you get that? He became broken. In Psalm 51, 17 that we spoke of a couple weeks ago, it says, The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentive heart, O God. And a broken spirit is one that is crushed, shattered, and smashed. And a contrite spirit is one that is, that is broken into pieces. See, a broken spirit, the sin is first against God. And I love what he says, that this young man finally came to his senses. He said, I'm going to tell my dad, I sinned against heaven. I sinned against God. I get it now. This sin was against God in full view of you. That was my problem. I love it. He takes full responsibility without excuses. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Excuses and blame shifting are gone. It's me. I sinned against God. So what's the evidence of being broken? Verse 18 says, he owned it. He just owned it. He didn't blame shift. He didn't throw it to someone else. He didn't say, well, I know I sinned, but here's why. Oh, I know I sinned, but because of, it's I sinned, period, end of discussion. It was me. He owned it. Number two, 
He wanted to restore presence, not position. Now that's key. He wanted to restore presence, not position. I'm no longer to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. You see, unbroken people seek to be restored to position, to pride, to possessions. See, when we're not broken, we say, okay, I'm going to say I'm sorry. I'm going to try to make things right because I want my position back or I want my possessions back or I want my pride back. But no, when you're truly broken, it isn't about your possessions. It's not about your position. It's about presence. It's about the fact this young man goes, listen, I don't even deserve to be called his son, but if I can get into the presence of my dad, if I can just get under his culture, I know I'll be clothed. I know I'll, I'll get, be fed. I know things will be right. That's all I'm looking for. It's about presence, not about position. So how do I forgive when I'm, I am wrong? Here's what the world says. Can I just be practical with you? How, do you? how do you ask for forgiveness? Here's what the world says. The world says, here's how you ask forgiveness. Say, I'm sorry. Or sorry. Right? Do you ever, there are some people that I hear, they sorry. I'm sorry. Right? That's the world's way. Of, by the way, saying I'm sorry is not the same as not forgiveness. Saying I'm sorry is not forgiveness. Let me show that to you. You see, sorry, for example, I can say, I'm sorry I lied to you. But you know what we're really saying? I'm sorry I lied to you, but you couldn't handle the truth anyways because you're so immature. That's the attitude, right? Say, I'm sorry I yelled at you, but underneath our breath we're saying, but who wouldn't? You get on everybody's nerves. Saying I'm sorry does not demonstrate brokenness. You see, saying I'm sorry puts the focus on the action, not on the offense. It puts the action, it puts it all on, the, on that action, not on the offense that you put there. And, and so it's, it, it, that's where it's, it's wrong. If, if I, you know, my friend uh, Kevin Fisher over there. So Kevin Fisher, I could just say, uh, oh, Kevin, hey, sorry, I, sorry I, I, I spoke harsh to you, but, boy, you really deserved it. Right? I'm, what I'm doing is I'm focusing on the action, not on my responsibility. And you see, that's why that, that's why that is that, that's not that is takes the focus off the action, puts it on the offense. But what's God's way? God's way is this: I was wrong. Will you forgive me? I'm sorry that I lied to you. That is a sin and disrespects you. Will you forgive me? I should not have yelled at you. I have no right to lose my temper. Will you forgive me? See, asking them to forgive you means that you recognize your sin or lack of attention that you put in, 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 you, put in you have put yourself into their debt. And you're asking them to open up a door of fellowship. You see, going back to, to my friend Kevin, and, and instead of saying, sorry, hey, sorry, I was, I was harsh to you, but you know what? You really got on, my, on everyone else's nerves. Saying, hey, Kevin, you know what? I was harsh to you with my words. Forgive me. See, now I take responsibility. That's a lot harder, isn't it? You go, well, Pastor Rick, it's a lot easier saying I'm sorry. You're right, because you don't have to be humble. That's why we like it. And it's so judgmental, because I can still keep my pride. So I don't have to be humble. I can still keep my pride. Just say sorry. Great deal. But it's not forgiveness. That's not what God calls forgiveness. You see, 
let me just put it to you in plain words. Saying I'm sorry when you need to ask forgiveness makes it all about you. That's why it's so hard. It is interesting that when you start dealing with your interpersonal problems this way, asking forgiveness requires humility. Let's look at this. Giving forgiveness requires humility. Many times you're going to throw people right off and they don't know how to handle it. So give them a moment. If I come again to Kevin and say, hey, Kevin, you know what? I was harsh with my words and I, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? It, it, might take him, he, it might take him a minute to go, what did you ask? I haven't heard that before. <laughs> especially not from you, but you don't have So give him, give him a second, because now you know what happens? He's got to humble himself to forgive me. It was humbling for me to ask for it. It's equally as humbling for him to have to give that forgiveness. You see, what do you ask for? What, you, what if you ask for forgiveness and they say no? That could happen, right? I could ask again, Kevin, will you forgive me? He could say, no. I'm really hurt, and I'm not going to forgive you. So what happens then? Well, understand this, that there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation, and you have no control over reconciliation. Because reconciliation takes two parties. But you have full control of asking for forgiveness. But if they choose not to give it, to release the debt someone owes you, then you're still free. If I asked for it with Kevin and he didn't give it to me, I'm still free because I humbled myself to him, to God, to him. Now he's in bondage until he releases me of that debt. I'm still free. So what if, uh, so forgive them, so what, what if someone offended you and they choose not to ask for forgiveness? Let's look at it the other way. And Kevin offended me and he didn't ask for forgiveness. Do I say, well, good, then I don't have to forgive him until he asks for it? No. You see, now what I need to do is this. Forgive them anyways. Release the debt they owe you. In that way, you're still free. However, the only way the offender can receive it is by asking for it. You can forgive, but they will not be forgiven until they ask for it. So even though if he offended me, I can still say, God, I released a debt Kevin did to me, and I give it to you, and I'm free. The debt's no longer there between, you know, because I gave it to you. But Kevin will not receive it until he asks for it. You see? So still, the point's on you. See, forgiven people forgive. And what is forgiveness? It's releasing the debt they owe you and giving it to God to deal with any way he wants to. But let's go back to our story. Look how God forgives us. And don't you love this, that, that Jesus just wants to remind us again of how God forgives us? Look at verse 20, compassion. So he got up, he went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt, and it was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. Now there's a couple things in this that, that I, I want to step back and just look at for a second. And can I just be a little bit vulnerable with you that at every dad that's here this morning, if you have a wayward adult child, there's not a day that goes by you don't think about it, am I right? Not a day you don't think about the day that they would come back, come back again, come back to Jesus, come back to restore the relationship again. This father, you wonder, you say, well, why was he looking? It could have been years gone by. You know, why was he looking? I think that father looked every expectingly, hopefully, deep inside someday that my son would come back. 
I think also, you look around it, it says that he ran. Understand that in those days that, that you don't run. Running was not something that an adult man or woman does. And so that's very unique in the story. You see, this man, he lost his dignity. He didn't care about his dignity. He didn't care about all the protocols out there. What he saw was he saw his son coming down the, the road. Now look at his son. Was, he was smelly. He, he was not kept. Uh, it, it, he Obviously, later on, we found out he wasn't wearing sandals and his clothes was horrible. He, he was filthy in every way imaginable. And all the father saw was his son and came running after him. The son was probably playing in his mind. He said, I got one chance to get my father to say yes and playing over his mind his little spiel that he was going to say. And while he was trying to work on it, the father comes running down the road and embraces him, holds him in his arms, puts his nap of his neck next to his with all the smells and all the filth and all the dirt, and he didn't care. He was his son, and he came home. Compassion, isn't that awesome? That's your God. Psalm 136, which is a song, 26 times. Sometimes we repeat the same thing in our songs over and over again. And some people say, why do we keep repeating things over and over again to get it through our heads? That's exactly what God did. Look at one of his songs. Psalm 136, 26 times he says, for his mercy endures forever. That's his said, his loving covenant love. He's a compassionate God. Do you know that God is just waiting to forgive? Uh oh, some of you have a God up there who's waiting with a baseball bat to knock you upside the head. Am I right? Oh, yeah, he's up there, man. He's full of wrath. He's full of anger. He just can't wait to say that might be your God, but not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is full of compassion. Not only that, but look at this. He's full of restoration. Verse 22. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He finally gets his spiel out. But look at verse 22. But the father told his servants, you know, the father didn't even listen. He didn't, he didn't even listen. He's told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it in on him. Put a ring on his finger, signifying identity, and sandals on his feet. You see, you know what the, you know what the, you know what he was doing? The son was focusing on the sin, but the father was focusing on the son. And so many times we focus on the sin and not the son. He was ready to restore the relationship. Oh, God, so the kid, excuse me, the, the, the father in the story saw was all he saw who was restored relationship. He saw the son, not that he ignored the sin. He got that, but he, wa he wanted to restore the son. <laughs> and look what he did. Oh, verse 23. If you got a God that scowls and is mean and that, boy, I'm really sorry, but I got a God that loves to party. I'll prove it to you. Look at verse 23. Then bring the fatted calf and slaughter it, and let's celebrate with, you know, the feast. I love that word, celebrate. There's a song that goes, celebrate. No. Okay, all right. Auto-tune me. Auto-tune me the next time I do that. 
Because his son, this son of mine, was dead, is now alive again. He was lost but found. So they began to celebrate. The father loved the party. The word rejoice, joy, celebrate, praise, worship, glorify. There's dancing, lifting holy hands, making noise. It's very hard to see God do a work in a life in another and to keep quiet about that, isn't it? Do you understand what it's saying? He walked away from God and he's in pig slop and a mess and ruined his life in every way imaginable. He comes back and God says, I'm going to put compassion on you. No, I'm going to restore. No, I'm going to celebrate you. Isn't that awesome? Is that the God that you have? Because that's the God of the Bible. Oh, we need to, we need to look at this. See, forgiving people forgive. Why? It's releasing the debt that someone owes you and giving it to God. And God is waiting and waiting for you. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, listen carefully. He wants to give you compassion. He wants to restore relationship. Oh, he wants to celebrate. If you're here this morning and you know Christ as Savior and you're walking from God, listen, no matter how deep you are in pig slop, God has compassion on you. God wants to restore. He wants to celebrate you. But I need to warn you this too. If you're here without Christ, the day is coming where there will be judgment and there will be hell and there will be wrath. But right now there's compassion Right now, there's restoration opportunity for you. So let's look at the third one, how not to forgive. Let's look at the older brother, the anger of the older brother. Verse 25, now his older son was in the field, and he came to their house, and he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of his servants and questioned what this meant. And the servant, I think he was excited, he said, your brother is here. Can you believe that? And your father has slaughtered a fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. But look what he did. He, then he became angry, and he didn't want to go in. So his father came out to plead with him. Do you remember, remember last week we talked about the first servant and the second servant? The first servant that was forgiven the debt, and then he went out and found the second servant that had a smaller debt and grabbed him by his neck. Look, look the same thing. This guy didn't get it. His brother came home. Now, the direct interpretation of this passage will show you the Pharisees as the older brother. And they got that, by the way. They completely missed what Jesus was doing and became offended. And here are three types of forgiveness that this older brother could have given. He could have said, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give partial forgiveness. What's that? When you say it'll take time for me to forgive. See, forgiveness takes time. See, don't you expect to come in here like it was before? It's not going to be like it was before. It, things are going to change, and I want to see you change before I truly forgive you. You see, you want to hold the sin over their head to demand better behavior. Remember I said before, the part of forgiveness is not only humility, the one asking forgiveness, but the one giving it to. But maybe it's conditional forgiveness that you have. You know what that is? When you... Give forgiveness only when they perform a certain act to show they're, they're, they're sorry. So I'll forgive you if you stop treating me like dirt. I'll forgive you if you perform something for me, then I'll forgive you. Conditional forgiveness. Or perhaps it's delayed forgiveness. When you want to make sure that hurt person hurts just a little longer, we want to see change before they give total acceptance. It's a form of, of revenge. I just, I'll forgive you, but I want you to hurt just a little longer than you have. In reality, 
partial forgiveness, delayed forgiveness, and conditional forgiveness, they're not forgiveness at all. None of those are really forgiveness. Here's the bottom line. Do you know why we're afraid to give? To forgive because we're afraid if we forgive biblically, we're letting the offender off the hook. And you know what my answer to that is? Exactly. That's exactly what you're doing. You're letting the offender off the hook and you're putting them on God's hook. You're saying, God, I'm releasing the debt. I'm giving it to you. You deal with it, God. I can't any way that you want to. If you want to kill him, which is my opinion, kill him. If you want to bless him, which is not my opinion, bless him. Whatever. I can't figure this thing out. It doesn't. I will give it to you to deal with any way that you want to. See, see, here it is. This is the reality. The reason why we don't want to forgive is because we know that if we do, that what God does with that person isn't what we want done. Look at the anger at his father, verse 28 and 29. Then he became angry, didn't want to go in, so his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, look, I've been slaving many years for you. Don't you love the words he uses? I've been slaving for you in this mansion with all this food and everything else I'm getting and have never disobeyed your orders. Really? You have never gave me a goat so I could celebrate with my friends, celebrate with my friends' selfishness. But when his son, when this son of yours, not my brother, who has devoured his assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered a fatted calf for him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But if we had to celebrate, but if we had to celebrate and rejoice because your brother of yours is dead, is alive again, he was lost, but now he's found. See, this man was consumed with his overinflated self-evaluation. He position, his position was threatened. His possessions were threatened. His pride was, was threatened. In the book Brokenness, Nancy Lee DeMoss says this. says, I understand that in the ancient Jewish culture, when the head of the home left the party, the music and the dancing stopped until the host returned. Isn't that the picture of what is happening in so many of our churches and ministries today? There's no joy, no celebration, no partying over lost sinners being restored because the pastor and the leadership are so distracted with having to deal with petty, uh, pouting Pharisees, elder brothers who are throwing fits because they didn't get their way. You know that we've seen in this last about 14 months, we've seen over 15 people come to know Christ as Savior here. We have seen in our church, we have seen God blessing in ways I've never dreamed of. I mean, this is during COVID. God's work doesn't stop because of a crisis or a pandemic. It moves forward, and God's doing a great work. And it's been amazing what's been happening here. And you know, I read that what Nancy Lee DeMoss says. I said, oh, my goodness. Instead, and yet during this time, you don't know how many of us elders had to have to deal with so much stupid And I want to say, hey, did you see this young lady who's coming out that was saved? Can I tell you about this guy over here and his family that's coming to, get, to receive Christ the Savior? This couple here that's joined the church and God's doing amazing work in their life. And, and, and that, no, no, we're all concerned about, and, 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 it's, and it's nothing biblical. It's all preferences and stuff, and we've, we've lost the joy of what's important in church. 
You see, first-generation Christians and carnal believers struggle with outward sins, fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Their sins are more action-oriented, but second-generation Christians, those who have been a Christian for a long time, struggle with inward sins, the sins of the tongue, and their sins are more attitude-oriented. And I've seen that. Some of you that are second-generation Christians have been for a while, we, you've lost your joy of your salvation, and, get, and seeing people getting saved, you're not enthusiastic about that because you got so wrapped up that you want your Christianity packaged or your church packaged in a certain way instead of seeing what God's doing. C.S. Lewis said this way, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. The younger brother learned to forgive. The father was ready to forgive. The older brother chose not to forgive. One was restored, one rejoiced, and one was refused, one refused and rejected. Forgiven people forgive. Forgiveness means, means that, we, that we release the debt someone owes us and give it to God and to do with it whatever he wants to. This. Let's do a diagnostic. It's in your notes there. Here's your diagnostic. Have you forgiven that person? That person. You all know what I'm talking about. You all have that person or that, those people. You want to make it, make it a whole family or make it a whole group or a whole whatever. Have you forgiven them? Well, here's some, here's some questions. When their name comes up or I think about them, I get a knot in my stomach or feel bitter. I have a deep, quiet desire to see that person pay for what they did to me. I talk about my hurt to others. When others talk about them, I interject something negative. And I cannot pray to God to heal and bless them. Did you check off some of those boxes? Then you're struggling with unforgiveness. And you need to forgive. You see, forgiven people forgive. And how do you know you're forgiven? Seven things. Number one, you release the debt to God. Number two, you don't ask God for vengeance. That's not releasing the debt. That's telling God what to do. Number three, you don't keep bringing it up. Number four, you refuse to gossip. Five, it, it is not the focus of your thoughts. Six, you don't make statements to show your hurt. And seven, you ready for this? You pray for them. Not for their negative consequences, but you pray that God would work in their life. See, God is sovereign over the hurts of others inflict on us and will use them for his redemptive purposes. Isn't that interesting? God is sovereign over our hurts. God is sovereign over our hurts and can use them for his redemptive purposes if we let him. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was a great preacher from the last century. Let me just give you his quote. I say to the glory of God and in utter humility that what that whenever I see myself before God and realize even something of what my blessed Lord has done for me, I am ready to forgive. When we understand that we've been saved from hell and our filthiness and our sin because of, only because of the grace of God, yeah, we can forgive, can't we? Why? Because forgiven people forgive. Lord, this morning... I just pray and ask that, God, you'll give us your grace to forgive. Lord, I, I'm not, uh, I recognize that there are some 
people out here that have gone through horrific things, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, verbal abuse. Lord, some of them have been, their trust has been betrayed and violated by somebody in the church. Could have been, even been a pastor. God, I don't know what it is. But I know that, Lord, a lot of their hurt and pain is real. And I don't want to diminish that. I don't want to set that down. But, God, in that reality, in that reality, if you've forgiven us, we can forgive them and release the debt they owe us and give it to you. Perhaps, God, there's somebody here. Lord, they're away from you. They know you as Savior, but God, they're, they're, they're not living for you. Or maybe they're lost, and they just need to know that, God, you are willing and ready to pour compassion more than they can handle, to restore more than they can believe, and to celebrate like they have never seen before. May they, Lord, bask in your forgiveness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.